we read together this morning a new reading. We move on in our treatment of Judges chapter 6. We pick up at verse 14 and read through verse 24, which of course, as you might well suspect, I have no hope of expounding this entire text today. But I will read it for us in our considerations for the days ahead. Judges 6 and verse 14. Speaking of Gideon and his encounter with this angel with a capital A, he said, The Lord looked upon him. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save it? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kit and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth into a, in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And so, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord 
and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet in Oprah of the Abizirites. If you'd take your hymn book, please, and stand with me again. Sing with me number 507. Faith adds new charms to earthly bliss and saves us from the snares. It yields support in all our toils and softens all our cares. The wounded conscience knows its power, the healing balm to give. That balm the saddest heart can cheer and make the dying live. Unveiling wide the heavenly world Where endless pleasures reign It bids us seek our portion there Nor bids us seek in vain Faith shows the promise fully sealed with our Redeemer's blood. It helps our feeble hope to rest upon a faithful God. There still unshaken would we rest Till this frail body dies And then on face triumphant wing To endless glory rise Thank you. Be seated. Title of the message, messages to be pursued today. I have put in your bulletin the sign seeker satisfied or I always give you a subtitle the sign seeker satisfied or will God 
wait on me. <laughs> well, God, wait on me. <laughs> we come this morning to this sixth chapter of the record of the judges. And we have arrived now at this 15th verse. And I intend, I intend to see no more than the 15th through the 24th verse in my expositions of this passage. That unit, that body grouping of word verses will go together as a passage. I would not fail to alert you this morning as we approach this text. I feel obligated to alert you to the fact that throughout the centuries it has proven to be a thorny and controversial set of verses for exposition. The difficulty among theologians seems to center altogether around that question, the question of Gideon's standing, or maybe better to say the difficulty seems to center around the question of Gideon's understanding at this specific moment in his experience. On the one hand, there are those that hold that Gideon here, as we come into this record, this portion of the record, Gideon here sees this unusual visitor as nothing more than a man. Maybe a prophet? Surely a messenger from God. But that Gideon sees him nevertheless certainly as nothing more than a man, another human. Those who hold this particular view and take this particular view of this, the state of heart of mind of Gideon at this place could say that it was not until much later in Gideon's experience, specifically verse 21, that he entertained any notion of this visitor being divine. That's on the one hand. On the other hand of the controversy, in the opposite direction, there are those who say that Gideon knew immediately that this was a divine visitation and that it was none other than God himself who spoke to him in his place there on the floor of the wine press. So these two opposing views have made this text to be fraught with controversy. Much of this controversy, I must say to you, 
and volumes which have been written in trying to sort it out. All revolves honestly, frankly, around one word. The word in verse 18 in our King James Bible translated present. And if you have a marginal reading in the old King James Bible, you'll find that even the King James translators could not avoid the difficulty here because they gave it another word, although they put the word present in our text. The marginal reading was meat offering, indicating clearly already the presence of a controversy in this matter. The Hebrew word translated present here is the word mincha. M-I-N-C-H-A-H would be our English transliteration of it. Mincha. And it seems that the difficulty stemmed from the fact that this word is sometimes used for a gift and is translated so. While at other times it's used to designate a sacrifice and is so translated in that way. And thus you see the difficulty. So you see, if Gideon meant to say gift, would you stay here until I come back with a gift for you? If he meant to say gift, then he meant to be suggesting no more than the normal acts of hospitality that were demanded in the Mosaic Law from one man to another man, even and especially to a stranger. And thus in that translation, that interpretation, it would suggest that Gideon recognized this stranger as only another man, albeit a messenger from God. If, however, on the other hand, one translates it as a sacrifice, then that word is used in other places only to refer to meats and offerings given up to God. And so would indicate that Gideon was viewing this strange visitor as none other than a theophany and thus offering to him only what belongs to God. <laughs> so you see the difficulty. I confess that after volumes of reading, for myself personally, I cannot fully ascribe to either of these views. Nor do I believe the text bears either of them out alone. Either view alone. Gideon requests a sign. But from whom? 
To whom does he think he's speaking? (laughs) I say to you clearly, he does not know. At this point, he does not know. I personally concur with Dr. Gill and Matthew Henry, so I'm in good company, who contend that at this particular point in the record, in the time frame of his experience and exposure with this angel, at this particular point, he doesn't quite know what to think. First, he's startled by the appearance of this stranger in a place where he thought himself to be well hidden. And then he's shocked by an announcement so unthinkable, so apparently impossible that his mind is reeling just to fathom out what is to be made of it all. Gideon here, if he understands anything at all at this point, it's two things. He understands first the impossibility of the task. (laughs) He's been told, you're going to deliver Israel. You are going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Clearly, He does understand from this text the enormity, the impossibility of the task. And secondly, from this text, we know he understands one other thing, and that is the total inadequacy of the instrument chosen. (laughs) Clearly, he understands those two things. Beyond that, he understands almost nothing. What then is he to do? Here, just here, I believe, he's struggling to understand. Have you ever been there? He's struggling to understand. What then will he do? He will bring a gift. Or is it a sacrifice? Which is it? He doesn't yet know. But he hopes by this means he soon will. He doesn't yet know. Bush says that Matthew Henry's comment here, Bush called it most plausible. (laughs) So what did Matthew Henry say? He said, speaking of our word there in verse 18, he said it is the same word that's used for meat offering and meal offering. And perhaps a word which signifies both. Because Gideon intended to leave it 
to this strange messenger to determine which it should be when he said it before him. Whether a feast for a guest or a meat offering for God. And accordingly, he would be able to judge concerning him. If he ate of it as common meat and accepted it as a gift to a man, albeit a prophet, then he was indeed a prophet. If otherwise, that is, if he received it in any other way than that way, he would know him to be a visitation from God. I say to you, Gideon didn't know what to think. So what must he do? Instantly in his mind, he contrived a test. I'll bring a gift. Gideon must know the truth, and this will reveal it to him. Someone has well said, the commission being given to him was outside the common road of providence. In other words, it was something spectacular, something above normal. Therefore, he might reasonably expect that it would be confirmed by some act of God outside the common course of nature. And so Gideon asked for a sign. He asked for a sign. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 says, And there's no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And Gideon did not want to be led astray by such an appearance. So he asked for a sign. The Hebrew word is oath. O with a long O, O-T-H, transcribed into our English. And it means, the word means to signal up with a flag. Gideon is asking for a sign. Give me a clear signal that I can understand what is happening here. Here in this offering, whatever it is, here we watch the further development of Gideon's repentance. I told you in a former message, there in that wine press, as he labored, his, he was literally preoccupied and consumed with this matter, his presence here, why he's here, 
what he's doing here, what the situation that has cast his lot in this place. He's consumed thinking about it. He's heard the prophet that God has already sent. No doubt the word of God is already bearing fruit in his heart and he's contemplating it when this angel appears to him. And the work of repentance had already begun in his heart and now we're seeing here its further development of his repentance and the fullness of his faith. Adersheim helps us to understand what's surely going on in the soul of Gideon just here. Adersheim says, it is when the strong warrior, and that some translate, some translate those words of the angel to Gideon in that, in that way. They call him the strong warrior. Adersheim said it's when the strong warrior is at the lowest that the messenger of the covenant suddenly appears before him. Not only the brightness of his face and form, but the tone in which he spake, and still more the words that he spoke, at once struck the deepest chords in Gideon's heart. Said the angel, Jehovah with thee, mighty hero. And was there not in that statement a sound like the echo of a national expectations? Was it not a call to arms? And then Adersham says this, one thing at least the angel gained immediately. One thing he gained immediately. It was what the angel of the presence of God always gains. The confidence of Gideon's heart. To the unknown stranger he pours forth his inmost doubts, sorrows, and fears. He opens his heart and pours out all his feelings. It is not that he is ignorant of Jehovah's past dealings. He talks about them. Nor that he questions his present power. That is not the reason for the request of the sign. But that he believes that if Jehovah had not withdrawn from Israel, their present calamities could not have rested upon them. The conclusion was right and true as far as it went. For Israel's prosperity or suffering depended on the presence or the absence of Jehovah. Thus Gideon's was in truth a confession of Israel's sin and of Jehovah's justice. And Adersham says, and it was the beginning of real repentance. <laughs> says another, he is wooed gradually out of the narrow shell of self-helplessness into the larger atmosphere of divine love. When our God thus slowly, gradually woos us, eventually 
the bridges of retreat are burned. <laughs> the alchemy of divine love turns our dross into gold and our water into wine. Hallelujah. But for Gideon here, the process has only just begun. You see what he's saying? He's wooing him gradually, slowly. But the process has well and truly begun. In another place, Adrashan said it would be almost fatal to the proper spiritual understanding of this text as of any other biblical narrative if we were to transport into it our present knowledge, our ideas, and our views. Remembering the circumstances of the nation of Gideon and of Israel, remembering the stage of spiritual knowledge attainable at this period, and the difficulty of feeling really sure who the speaker is, we can understand Gideon's request for a sign. It is difficult to imagine what special sign Gideon was expecting. <laughs> and in that department, we are left to nothing but speculation. We have no idea. Adrashim says it'd be difficult to even imagine what sign Gideon was expecting after he made this request. Probably, he says, he had formed no definite idea at all. Suffice it at this time that he would bring a sacrificial gift. And the rest he would leave to the heavenly guest. So then Gideon must learn. He must grow. His faith must stretch and take flight. But he must be sure. So he asks, as we have already said, for a sign. And to that end, to that end, verse 17, he asks for a sign. And to that end, in verse 18, he brings a gift. Here may I just give you the first point of an outline, if outline you wish to have. Could I just tell you here that this angel, number one, sympathizes with our ignorance. This angel sympathizes with our ignorance. Far from any rebuke, far from any rejection or scolding, this blessed angel, this same angel that we know from later scripture in Isaiah 
42 and verse 3, this same angel who will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoking flax, this angel simply grants his request. Oh, oh may we not just pause there and suck the nectar from this flower? All oh, the patience of our God without ignorance. Read those last words of verse 18, if you will, again. I can hardly read them through the tears. And he said, I will tarry. I will tarry. Until thou come again. <laughs> he sympathizes with our ignorance. I will tarry. I said I subtitled the message, Will God wait on me? Will God wait on me? He sympathizes with our ignorance. Get in. Go ahead and do what you must. I'll wait for you right here. I'll wait for you right here. Oh, may we see the patience of our God here. Read verse 18 again and weep. He condescends to our weak estate. Do you see it? God, <laughs> the God who has the power to cause fire to pour out of a wet rock. Not just a rock, a wet rock. This God is waiting on Gideon to cobble together his little plan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God for the testimony. Thank you, Gideon. For giving this testimony. God is waiting on Gideon to cobble together his little plan. <laughs> oh, this morning, my sainted friend, how many times has our God in his Christ indulged our feeble ignorance and waited on us? Oh, I hope you can get the profundity of these words and who it is that speaks them. I will. I will tarry here until you come again. Mm. Oh, hear me today. Learn this fundamental truth today. 
I'm going to give it to you in simple words. I want you to learn it this morning. I want you to take it to your soul and hold it dear. Here it is. Uncertainty is not unbelief. Uncertainty is not unbelief. Frail uncertainty, if you want the whole quote. Frail uncertainty is not vile unbelief. It's two different things. Gideon is very uncertain here. He's in shaky ground. But the angel knows that. And he asked for a sign. It's not because of unbelief. It's because of uncertainty. And uncertainty is not unbelief. Somebody has well said, to doubt oneself is human. Yes, even noble. But to doubt God is devilish. Gideon's not doubting God. He's doubting himself. And he's uncertain. Gideon seeks only to know with certainty God's will. This, this, the desire to know with certainty God's will, this is sublime nobility. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I just didn't, I just didn't know. I didn't know I was blind. And then he says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, this angel, this angel does not count uncertainty as unbelief. He will be patient with your ignorance. Oh, I hope you value that like I do. Be patient with your ignorance. James said, James chapter 1, James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's all Gideon's doing. 
He's just asking of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Gideon said, would you give me a sign? Would you wait here for me? While I go yonder and prepare a gift. Oh, and this blessed angel says, I will. I will tarry until you come. <laughs> Our God will not scold you for what you don't know. Did you hear me? Our God will not scold you for what you don't know. He knows that we are but dust. Psalm 103. Oh, my dear saint, this morning, our God knows the difference between uncertainty and unbelief. And he graciously says to us, I will tarry until you come. Oh, hallelujah. He sympathizes, my first point. He sympathizes with our ignorance. Adersheim said, again very wisely, the reply of the angel could leave no doubt in the mind of Gideon that a heavenly messenger was before him who promised that through him Israel should be saved and that simply because he sent him. It is not necessary to suppose that Gideon understood that this messenger from heaven was in fact the angel of the covenant. That's not necessary to suppose that. On the contrary, the revelation was very gradual. Nor do the questions of Gideon seem strange. For such they are. And not doubts. Looking around at his tribe, at his clan, at his own position in it, help through him seemed almost most unlikely. And if we realize all the circumstances, it was so. Only one conclusive answer could be returned to all this. I shall be with thee. The sold out was left. The sold out now left was this. Who was the stranger? <laughs> and this Gideon proposed to solve by asking for a sign. Yet not a sign to his unbelief, but one connected with worship and with sacrifice. Jehovah granted it. As when Moses sought to know God, he revealed his being and his character and his ways in Exodus 33 and verse 18. And so now he revealed to Gideon not only who had spoken to him, but also that his name was Jehovah. Jehovah God, 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Oh, my precious saint, you could not, you, you and I, you could not be possibly be more confused. You could not possibly more be more confounded. You could not possibly more be more startled or desperate this morning than was this poor man Gideon here in this text. But God said to him, I'll wait on you. I'll wait for you. I'll tarry here. And wait for you. He'd already spoken. He didn't have to do that. This is the gracious angel of God. That's what he does. He, he acts graciously. He'll be patient with our ignorance. He says, I'll wait while you ask and it shall be given to you. I'll wait while you seek and you shall find. I'll wait while you knock and it'll be a given open to you. And can I say to you this morning, Saint, God will wait to accommodate your pitiful needs, your weak faith, and your sad ignorance. Your Father will wait. As long, that is, as long as you are like Gideon, Truly seeking his direction and ready to obey. Could I just give you a little sidelight here? All oh, the infinite patience of our God. Could I just give you a little sidelight here? Pause here and give you a precious sidelight. I said you must be truly seeking and ready to obey. Gideon proves himself to be of that order of inquirer when we read in verse 9, Gideon went in, 19, verse 19, Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour the flesh he put in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, and he brought it, and he brought it, and he brought it unto him that's under the oak, and he presented it. I said to you, Gideon is showing himself to be an honest inquirer. Notice this. This is the sidelight. Notice sacrificial giving. In the face of great personal need. 
Little could this man get in, afford to give up such extravagance on an unknown stranger. But desperate was he to know how this message from this angel might be brought to fruition. And so he gave sacrificial, whatever this was, whether it was a gift or whether it was a sacrifice to, to given to God in worship, it was on his heart a personal sacrifice. He is threshing wheat. And he goes back and slays the lamb. Personal. I said sacrifice. Sacrificial giving. In the face of personal need. Mm. I sometimes wonder, church. Have we sometimes locked down the wheels of God's deliverance? We weep and we pray, and we ought to, for the salvation of souls in this county, in our homes, in our families. But I wonder if we have sometimes locked down the wheels of God's deliverance because we have failed to cast our bread upon the waters. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 4. I wonder if we fail to see a Moses raised up in Israel because we've been unwilling to set our firstborn off into the river in a basket of faith. I wonder if we've suffered a dearth of Samuels in our churches and in the ministry because we dared not to vow a vow to give him back to the Lord as Hannah did. Oh, how much of the work of our God has been left undone because we aren't prepared to let go of the things we thought need demanding. Gideon gave what he could not afford to lose because the call required it. Hear me? Gideon gave what he couldn't afford to lose because the call of God required it. I wonder if we've locked down the wheels of God's deliverance because we want to hold on. Gideon gave what he could not afford to lose. Mm. Oh, may the Lord help us. Lord, help us. The angel said, I'll tarry here for you. And Gideon goes and prepares sacrificially. To bring a gift. 
how to move on to my second point in attempted in an attempted outline. I said in point number one, he sympathizes with our ignorance. And we'll stop there today. And next week, Lord willing, I want to show you in this text that he not only sympathizes with our ignorance, but he supplies our illumination. Turn with me, if you will, in your hymn book and stand with me. And we sing number 509. Thou lovely source of true delight, unseen whom I adore, unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I may love thee more. Thou lovely source of true delight, unseen whom I adore, unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I may love thee more. Thy glory, O creation, stands, but in thy sacred word I read in fairer, brighter lines my bleeding, dying Tis here when air my comforts droop and sins and sorrows rise. Thy love with cheerful beams of hope my fainting heart supplies but are to soon the pleasing scene is clouded o'er with pain my gloomy fears arise between and I again complain. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Then shall my soul 
with raptured race the wonders of thy love. Then shall I see thy glorious face in endless joys above. Thank mm-hmm. you.